Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to welcome all of you back into the room. Give yourself a big hand. You guys are awesome. You are great. Thank you for watching online. Thank you for sharing the services. And it's just been an incredible time that we've gone through as a country and as a community and as families. And uh, I hope this has been a time when you are growing in your faith. One of the things that a difficult season will do, it will reveal the integrity of your faith. It will uh, reveal the strength of your faith. Uh, We've said before, you really don't know how strong you are until you're tested. And then once you're tested and you go through a trying difficulty in life, you you begin to see things about you that you might not have seen before. God will reveal those things. It's not that he does that for his benefit, he does it for our benefit. And he shows us things about us that we might not have seen otherwise. So it reveals the strength or sometimes even the weakness of our faith. So trouble can do that. And then as I said last week, um, trouble will inevitably bring you closer to God or it will drive you away from God. I talk to people all the time, and those people who have walked away from church or they've turned their back or recanted their faith all have a story. There was always that defining moment, that experience in life, as I can relate to, where God didn't answer the prayer that you prayed in the way that you prayed it, where you get a little disappointed and disillusioned. I've told you I've resigned many times, I just didn't tell anybody. So I certainly get the idea that you get disillusioned because God doesn't always telegraph what he's doing. He doesn't ask permission for what he's doing. But God will work in and through not just the good things but the bad things in our life because Romans 8 says all things. All things have the ability to work together for our good and for his glory. And so when you look into the record and you look into God's word, you see time after time, experiences after experiences of people going through hard times, defining moments that strengthen them, that make them, uh, that develop the character, uh, and and the uh, outcome is either they're drawn closer or they're drawn further from God. And that's certainly the case in the, uh, the writer of Hebrews as he's writing to a group of Jewish Christians who had just turned their back on the old sacrificial system. Uh, They were moving away from idolizing Moses, and they were embracing this new system, this new organism, this new organization called the church. The church was in its infancy. And during the launching of the church, you still had, uh, the temple was still functioning, the priest was still offering sacrifices, People were still bringing their sacrifices to the temple as they had always done, but those who had recognized that Jesus was the Messiah and those who had embraced him and those who had stepped away from the synagogue and the religious system to embrace this new organization called the church, they were understanding that now uh, their life is being guided by by their faith, by their faith. Now there was something comfortable about the the synagogue and there was something comfortable about the temple. There was something comfortable about doing what their forefathers had always done in bringing a sacrifice every year to the temple because it was tangible. You could see a sacrifice. 
It was tangible. You could walk it into the temple and you could watch the high priest as he went about his duties of offering up the sacrifice, thus atoning for the sins of the people, thus rolling their sins forward for a year. There, there was something comfortable in the fact that that was tangible. But after Jesus had gone to the cross, the sacrificial system was no longer in play. In fact, Jesus was the sacrifice that would end all sacrifices, but a lot of the people that were still clinging to the religion didn't see it that way. Jesus was the Messiah, but a lot of those religious Jews were still looking for the Messiah. They're still looking today. And so there was something comfortable about being able to bring an, a sacrifice and be able then to see the priest as he goes through the rituals of the temple that was significant, by the way, in the Old Testament. To be able to see him and walk away from the synagogue or to leave the temple with the assurance that the priest accepted my sacrifice, he made atonement for my sin, so my sin has been rolled forward for another year. I'm just saying there had to be something comforting in knowing that because it was tangible. But now you're embracing this thing called faith. Faith is not being able to see everything and faith is trusting that God heard me when I prayed. Faith is trusting that God uh, received me when I called even though I can't see him or I can't hear him. And so when they went through a difficulty, the, the, the tendency was to go back to the familiar because it was comforting, it was tangible. And, and so the tendency was to go back in that. And, and I think that's human nature. In, in your mind, do you remember your history or your hometown or your school? And, and in your mind, it's greater than it probably actually was when you were actually experiencing it. Or you go back to maybe where your grandparents lived, thinking you could kind of reclaim something that was great there, and, 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 and they're gone, and, and it's just not the same, and it leaves you a little empty because the experience didn't do for you what, what, what you thought it would. That's what was happening. They were being drawn back into the synagogue and into, the, into their religion and into the, the heritage and into the history when God was doing something new. And, and now they're not being able to embrace the tangible, now they're embracing intangible things like, like their faith. And trouble sometimes, as I said earlier, will, will cause you to wanna go back. You remember John 21, you have Simon Peter the great Simon Peter, who was uh, the most outspoken of all the apostles, the Simon Peter who said to Jesus, if all these other jokers, loosely translated, if all of them leave you, I'll still be there. I'll be the last man standing. Of course, Jesus said, dude, you're the first one out of the door. Sure enough, the rooster, rooster crows. He denies he knows Jesus after the cross. Remember the story? And then you read John 21. Simon said, you know, I'm going fishing. Now that's a wonderful sentiment when you've had a bad day, but it meant more than that. Simon Peter was a fisherman before he met Jesus. What Simon Peter was saying in John 21 is, I wanna redo, I wanna reset, I wanna go back to my life before I ever got involved with these Christians. <laughs> I wanna go back to my life before I ever met Jesus. I wanna go back to my life before I ever got involved in a church. I am done. And so when you read John 21, he walked away. And by the way, God let him. God didn't reach down out of heaven and go, no, you're not going anywhere. He didn't hit him with a shock collar. <laughs> he, he didn't pull him back in with a leash. He said, if that's what you wanna do, then just help yourself. And he did. And I love the story how Jesus came and Jesus found him. Simon's out fishing, catching nothing. 
Jesus said, hey man, have you caught anything? You know what he was really asking him? He said, are you happy? You're doing what you said you wanted to do. You said you wanted a life without me. You said you wanted to live life without a connection to a church. You said you wanted to live life like this. Go back to what it was like before you knew me. And Jesus says, are you happy you caught any fish? You know what he said? No. 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 And Jesus said, then come. He had fish on a fire. He told him when he got there, he didn't look at him and say, you crazy guy, what were you thinking after all I've done? I just gone to the cross for you, what? Is this what I get for you? He didn't do any of that. We might have, but he didn't. He said, sit down, son, you're tired. Get something to eat, you're hungry. And after they had had that interaction and after he had helped him physically and helped him emotionally kind of recover from what he had gone through, he said, here's the problem, Simon Peter, you don't really love me. Simon goes, oh, no, man, Lord, I, I, you know everything. You, you know, I, he goes, no, 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 no. I think if you really loved me, this wouldn't have happened. I, I think that's the problem here. I, I think your heart got cold. Do you know you, you can get in the middle of doing a lot of good things and your heart get cold? Did you know you can, you can be involved in a wonderful family? You, you, can, you can be involved in a great career and a wonderful business and your heart get cold? Sometimes the circumstances of life will just chill your heart out. And you don't know it until somebody who knows you best and loves you most kind of calls you out on it. And Jesus knew Simon Peter and he goes, son, your, your heart's cold. And all of a sudden, man, Simon Peter says, you're right. He said, Lord, I do love you. And you know what he said to him? Feed my sheep. What we'd say is get back in the game. Get your helmet on, son, and get back on the field. We need you out there. You're valuable. We know you've been in rehab and we know you're hurting and we, we, we know you're, but sometimes you gotta play hurt. So put your helmet on and get back in the game. What I'm saying with that illustration is it is a tendency for the best people sometimes to wanna go back. I get that. And these people that the writer of Hebrews was dealing with, these people were saying, we tried to do this faith thing and we tried to follow after Christ and we tried to be involved in the church, but it's not working out. They were being persecuted and trouble was hitting them. And, and, and many of them were returning. Some of them weren't returning to, to anything. They were just going back to their life and weren't, religion wasn't a part of it. Others were returning to the temple and the synagogue. So with that backdrop, the writer says, hey, look, the temple had its place. The sacrificial system had its place. The work of Moses was significant and it had its place. But you need to understand, there's somebody better than that. There's a system that's better than that. There's a future that is better than that. There's an opportunity for you that's better. Don't go back. God has something better for you. And this morning, if you have a Bible, I want to explore that a little more before we go. In Hebrews chapter 3, he says, therefore. And remember, we've said many times when you study the Bible and you see the word therefore, look and see what it's there for. <laughs> He always uses what he's just said, as, and he uses the word therefore to connect what he's about to say. Well, what has he just said? He said, as I talked about last week, Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the sacrificial system. He's better than the old covenant. And now he's saying he's better than Moses. He's better than Moses. He says, therefore, and notice how he refers to them as holy brothers and sisters. That's significant. He's calling them brothers and sisters. He's using a familiar term here because the Bible will use four metaphors to describe the church. The church is the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12. The church is a fellowship, 
We're Metroport Cities Fellowship. The church is a fellowship. The, the church is, a, is a, a flock. We're like sheep who have a shepherd. Moses was the Old Testament shepherd. So we're like a flock and then we're like a family. We're brothers and sisters, we're connected, we have the same dad. And when he's referring to them, he's referring to them as holy brothers and sisters and it's significant because he's talking to people who are walking away. He's talking to people who were leaving the church. He was talking to people who were recanting their faith. They were going back on their commitment they had made to God. And some of them maybe for good reason. That's why when I encounter someone and I hear their story, man, there are people who are in our church that I'm just blown away that they have enough faith to still hang on to church, given what they've been through. I talk to some people out and I hear their story and I understand fully why they got disillusioned and why they walked away. And I know sometimes people need time and they have to process through things and they have to work through things. And he was appealing to these guys. He was saying, look, you are still our brother. You are still our sister, even though you're wanting to leave the home. Even though you're wanting to leave the house. <laughs> even though you're wanting to walk away from the church, you're still my brother, you're still my sister. And you know, here's what I know. I know if you belong to God, you can walk away, but hear this, you can't stay away. Sooner or later, somehow or the other, he brings his kids back. It's the principle of Proverbs 22, verse six. Train up the child in the way they should go, and when they're old, didn't say when they were young, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. God has a way of bringing his kids home. We have a lot of people who are in our church, a lot of people who are connected to our church, who if you heard their story, as I've heard many of their stories, would say, look, I, I didn't give up on God, but I sure gave up on church. That's why I tell you all the time, if you didn't get hurt in church, you just didn't go long enough. We all got our stories. I promise you, everybody has a story you can tell. We could all justify not ever being a part of a church again. We could justify that. But in Hebrews, he says, hey, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as many do. You need the church, we need each other. God didn't design us to go through life insulated and isolated. He designed this organism, this organization called the church as its way of impacting a world. And so he's appealing to them and he's calling them brothers and sisters. We're part of the family and I understand you're hurt and I understand you're upset, but he's saying you are still brothers and sisters and notice here, you're the partakers of the heavenly calling. You're part of this, a partaker, you're involved in this. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. You're a part of something now greater than yourself. You are part of his work here on the earth and you are immortal till he's finished with you. So man, try to get through this and try to get past this so that you can get back out there and start making a difference in the lives of other people. And then he gets into the heart of what he wants to share with them. And let me read this quickly and I'll apply it before we go. He says, consider, consider the apostle, the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Stop and think about this, he's saying. Consider Jesus. I know you're going out the door and I know you're disillusioned and I know you're hurt. I know you're like Simon Peter. I, I wanna go back and do what I did before I ever met Jesus. But whoa, 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 wait a minute. Consider Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, he was faithful to God, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. Now notice he uses the correlation between Jesus and Moses. And that's significant. 
because many of these religious Jews were returning to the synagogue. They were embracing the teachings of Moses. They were going back to doing the things that they had done before they met Jesus and got involved in the church. So they were, they were embracing the teachings of, of Moses as being greater than that of Christ. So he draws the contrast, not to criticize Moses, but to compliment him and to contrast him by saying, as great as Moses was, Jesus is even greater. Even though, uh, the, uh, let, let's back up too. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was faithful in all of his house. For this one, speaking of Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who has built the house has more honor than the house. Now, what is the house? The house is the household of faith. The house in the Old Testament was the nation of Israel. Uh, the house was the group that Moses had led. The house was this heritage that these Jewish Christians were looking back on. And he's saying, look, Moses was a servant of the house, but let me remind you, he said, Jesus built the house. He owns the house. So as great as Moses was, don't go back into a system that God has now changed. Stay with the one who brought you. Continue to embrace Jesus. Every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which be spoken of afterward. But Christ, who stands in counterdistinction here as a son, not a servant, but a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. He talks there in the end about the fact that if we have a genuine faith in God, it is a faith that will help us persevere regardless of those things that we experience. Now, why the contrast? Why the looking back at Moses and the looking forward to Jesus? He was contrasting them because, understand, they had been taught by the ancient rabbis that there was no one greater than Moses. And Moses was great. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Moses wrote. Moses led a million people out of Egypt. You remember, you saw the movie? He led a million people out of Egypt into the promised land, across the Red Sea. He was God's instrument to give them manna, fresh bread in the morning. Moses was an incredible man. Moses was a powerful leader. He was the Old Testament shepherd. These people respected and revered him highly. So the tendency was to go back and to embrace Moses and to embrace the system that Moses had fostered. But God was building something different. He was building something new. He was doing something called the church. So the writer is contrasting and complimenting Moses, but he's saying, man, Moses is on the same page with Jesus. <laughs> I mean, when you read Hebrews 11, Moses, like all those Old Testament saints, died in faith, not receiving the promise. The promise was the coming of the Messiah. Moses understood his role. He was building the house and he was preparing the house for the coming of Jesus. He was basically pointing people toward Jesus, but he didn't see the coming of Jesus. He died long before that. Hebrews 11, he died in faith, not receiving the promise. He didn't see Jesus come, but he died in faith, believing he would come. Now, what's the difference with us and Moses? I didn't see Jesus either, but I, I, I look back to the cross, believing one day Jesus did come. Moses looked forward to the cross, believing one day Jesus would come. You see the difference? But it's both faith. I'm saved by the same faith that saved Moses. 
And what he's suggesting to those people is while you're thinking you're turning your back on Jesus to embrace Moses, Moses is part of the team. <laughs> he's just in a different system now. That Levitical law, Jesus fulfilled the Levitical law. You don't, you don't have to keep trying to keep the law in order to find some level of righteousness to get God's acceptance. The law was never intended for that purpose. Paul explains the law in Galatians 5. He said, God gave the law through Moses to bring us to a point where we would realize we can't keep it. We can't be good enough. Paul said the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus. The, the law was what God gave as a standard of perfection. And then Jesus narrows it and tightens it up. Jesus said in the Old Testament, you had to actually violate the law to be guilty of the law. In the New Testament, if you think about violating the law, you're guilty of the law. What? He said, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already killed them. Now listen, I'd whole lot rather you hate me as kill me. He's just, he's just using a big illustration here. He's just saying that in terms of violating the law in a technical sense, we've all done it. The law was not given uh, to, uh, in order for us to think we could keep it. The law was given so that we would know we can't keep it. It was to bring us humbly before the Savior so that we would admit, I can't, you can. So Jesus came in the world fulfilling the law. Never thought a thought he shouldn't have had, never did a deed he shouldn't have done, never went a place he shouldn't have gone, never treated somebody in a way they shouldn't be treated. Jesus was perfect, perfectly completing the law. And Moses is on his team, and the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to these religious Jews, man, you need Jesus. He's greater than Moses. And let me show you three ways in which he's greater, and we'll go home. Number one, he is greater in his position than Moses did you see how it opened? He says, consider. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. The word consider is significant. It means stop and take account of. It means to gaze upon. It means to look strongly at what I'm about to say to you. And the reason he said that is because you can look at something and not see it. You can look at someone and not see them. So, in fact, in Matthew 6, remember when Jesus was teaching not to worry? He said, consider, the same word, consider the lilies. They don't spin or toil. Your heavenly Father takes care of them, won't he take care of you? Same word. So he's saying, consider, stop. What I'm about to say is significant. This is, this is something that will help you. He said, consider Jesus as the apostle. The apostle. What did the apostles do? They brought the word of God. The apostles were the ones through which God communicated his truth. And the word apostle, by the way, can also be translated as ambassador. Ambassador is sent. An ambassador represents the king in the court of another. Jesus, he's saying, consider, stop, look, and listen. Think about this. Jesus was God's ambassador. He's God's sent one. I said last week, he's God's First word, he's God's full word. He's God's focused word. He's God's final word. So Jesus was sent into our lives and he's saying, look, he's greater than Moses because he's God's sent one. And not only said, is he the apostle, but you see the next phrase, he's the high priest. Well, those religious people knew about that. Some of the religious people I'm talking to understand the role of the priest the priest, the pontifex, the bridge builder, the mediator, the one who stands in the gap between God and man, 
Well, they understood the role of the priest was powerful throughout all the Old Testament who would receive the offerings on behalf of the people and make atonement through the sacrifice for the sins of the people, thus rolling the sins forward another year until the process would happen again. That Old Testament priest represented the mediator, the one who stood in the gap between God and man. And what he's saying now is, yes, that had its place. Yes, that was valid. Yes, that was a part of Old Testament history, but consider, fix your focus on the fact that when Jesus came into the world, he came as God's ambassador and God's high priest. He is the high priest of our confession. He is the one to whom we turn. He is the one to whom we pray. By the way, the only one who can absolve sin is Jesus. I don't have that power. I cannot absolve you of sin and it make any difference in your eternity. We can cross with each other and forgive one another, but I can't do anything that would absolve you of any sin that would determine whether you go to heaven or not. I've told you before, if I died for your sins, I'm still dead and you're still a sinner, so it doesn't do either one of us any good. Jesus is the high priest. And this writer is wanting them to understand that system had its place. That system was pointing to Jesus. Moses believed in the system. He looked forward to the coming of Messiah, but Jesus is here. And he's greater in his position. He's our ambassador. He's our sent one. He's our high priest. He's God's chosen one. So he's better in position. Look, secondly, he's better in his performance. You'll see time and time again in verses two and three, it talked about the faithfulness of Moses to do the things God had called him to do. And Moses was a great example, a great shepherd. But his faith was imperfect. Moses made mistakes. Moses failed. There's no perfect people. There's no perfect pastors. There's no perfect anything. There's no, I tell you, there's no perfect church. If you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. There's just no perfect church. There's just churches you know more about than others. I'm just saying we're all flawed. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying it is what it is. No perfect families, no little houses on the prairie in here, are there? <laughs> I'm just saying we're all messed up. And the point I'm suggesting to you is the only perfect one is Jesus. Moses' faith wasn't perfect. In fact, Moses had anger issues. Remember the Egyptian he killed? I told you there's nothing worse than when the upright get uptight and he killed the Egyptian. Flees into the wilderness. God calls him through the burning bush, remember? Ultimately, he'll lead Israel toward the promised land. And along the way, they ran out of water. They're out in desert land, middle of nowhere. And God says, this will be a beautiful opportunity for you to preach a, a message about the coming of the Messiah one day, and I'm gonna use a rock in order to illustrate it. So he said to Moses, the people need water, go stand before the rock, explain to them the significance of this symbol, strike the rock, and when you strike the rock, water will flow. What did that rock represent? The cross. Jesus is called a rock, it's a metaphor. Jesus told the woman at the well, if you would ask of me, I would give you waters that flow out of me that you would never thirst again. Jesus can satisfy the deepest need of your life. He's the rock. So Moses, using that as an illustration, teaching the gospel, by the way, back in Exodus 17, he struck the rock. But there's another time in the wilderness when you get to Numbers 20, 
<laughs> where God says, same thing, go to the rock, but this time speak to the rock. Now, what was the significance? Because Jesus is only gonna die once. So the next time you speak to the rock, how do we get water out of the rock? Jesus, would you help me? I know I'm a sinner, I know I need a savior, and he'll respond to me, and all of a sudden, water flows to meet the deepest need of my life. I just speak to the rock now. He doesn't have to come back and die again. But what did Moses do? Moses got mad. He was mad at the people. He called them a bunch of rebels and probably things that aren't even recorded in the Bible. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he struck the rock. Whoa. That metaphor fell into a thousand pieces. God was offended and angry with his kid. And you know what happened as a result? He said, you can lead your people to the edge of the Jordan, but you can't lead them across. Joshua was going to do that. And God calls him home before he can fulfill his mission. Why? Boy had anger issues. <laughs> he struck a rock that he should have spoken to. Some people are hitting things they ought to be speaking to. I'm just suggesting your heart this morning that one of the things that happened in the lives of Moses is he revealed time and time again to the people, he's not perfect. But man, when you look at the narrative, he said Jesus is faithful. He's faithful. I can tell you from my own experience, from the time Cindy stepped into heaven to the time I stand before you this morning, God is faithful. I don't agree with everything that's happened in my life. I don't understand everything that's happened in my life. I've tried to come to terms with the fact that there are dots that I will not connect till I stand in the presence of God and I have his mind. And I have to be okay with that. You know why? Because I don't really have another choice. So I try to get comfortable with that every day. But here's what I found out about God. Even though sometimes my faith has waned and has been weak, he is faithful. He can't fail you. You know why? It's not his nature to fail you. Yeah, you aren't going to understand him. If you understood everything about God, he wouldn't be God. You couldn't respect a God. You wouldn't follow after a God that you knew all about him. You got him figured out. He's high, far above us. He said to Isaiah, as high as the heavens are above my, your head, so high are my thoughts above yours and my ways above yours. You know what I try to do? I try to take the grief and the heartache. And I try to put it all together every day and just say, Lord, I choose to trust you. And the Bible here is teaching this principle that Jesus is better in his purpose because his purpose as a son, his purpose is to work in and through our lives. Did you see in that last phrase that I read to you in that verse, it says, whose house we are. Whose house we are. He built the house. He lives in the house. Whose house we are. You see, in the Old Testament, under Moses, in that economy, God had a temple for his people in that economy. But in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, 1 Corinthians 3, listen, he has a people for his temple. Your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So the purpose of God is to work in and through the experiences of life and to work in them in such a way that we become conformed into the image of his son. So we look a little more like him so that we can make a difference in the lives of someone else. So let me say to you, brothers and sisters, some of you broken, some of you disillusioned, some of you watching me online have walked away, and some of you in the room, you've walked away, you just hadn't let anybody know. 
your heart is kind of cold. And maybe the reason's justifiable. I told you, you and I could sit down together over a cup of coffee and we could talk about the experiences of life and we both could justify never going to another church again, humanly speaking. We could. I choose to be here. You choose to be here. And if you belong to God sooner or later, with a broken heart, you'll come back. With a heavy heart, you'll come back because he'll call his children back home. Remember the prodigal, so full of himself, he walks away, but every day, you read Luke 16. I believe that dad stood at the porch, shading his eyes from that evening sun, hoping he'd see his boy on the horizon. And one day, that boy, the Bible says, came to himself. He came to himself. Most people don't come to Jesus, so you come to yourself. You have to work it out up here. And he finally said, I'm not happy, this ain't working. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I'm going to go back to my father. And he came back to his father, and the Bible says his dad ran. It's such an incredible image. Some of you guys this morning, did you know if you turn that heart back toward your heavenly father, the God of heaven will run to meet you. He's not upset at you. He's not wanting to beat the daylights out of you. <laughs> he loves you. And if you'll turn that broken heart, that grieving heart, even that bitter heart toward him, he'll embrace you. He'll love you. He will not fail you. If you don't know him, I highly recommend him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and others here and those watching that you'll do something deep and profound in each life. I know I'm talking to broken people. There's no doubt in my mind that everyone in this room and everyone watching, we're all, we're all broken. Broken in some way. But Father, help us know if we need to run, the best place to run is to you. And if we're going to fall, the best place to fall is at your feet. So Lord Jesus, I ask my broken friends this morning, especially those who have never given their hearts to you, to swallow their pride and to say, Lord, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin and be a reality in me. Lord, thank you for the privilege it is to be in your presence. Thank you for the privilege it is to feel your presence. And we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.